Fate would like to thank Colart for sponsoring this episode of Positive Space. A longtime supporter of Fate, Colart are the people behind companies such as Windsor & Newton, Liquitex, Conti, Reeves, and a whole host of others. Need an art supply? One of Colart's companies probably covers it. Find out more at colart.com. Welcome to Positive Space, Conversations and Art Foundations, a production of Foundations in Art, Theory and Education, also known as FATE. Positive Space is a podcast providing opportunities for those passionate about art foundations to discuss and promote excellence in the development and teaching of college-level foundations in art studio and art history classes. Positive Space. I am Valerie Hanks, the newly Valerie Hanks, and I'm really excited that you're here today. Joining us via Skype, we have Josh Brinley, who is the Assistant Professor and the Foundations Coordinator at the University of Mississippi. So welcome, Josh. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're, we're excited to get to chat with you and unpack all things foundations and all of that good stuff. And so maybe you can just talk a little bit about what foundations looks like at the University of Mississippi. So with our foundations program, we're, we're first off, we're a fairly traditional department. So the foundations department supports kind of our other majors, um, including ceramics, printmaking, painting, and then also going into design and imaging arts. So as the foundation coordinator, I think we all know this, who's ever in this position, that we have to wear many hats. So I kind of consider myself a recruiter of BAs and BFAs in addition to, you know, guiding curriculum, making sure that I'm communicating with other area heads of the department and kind of ensuring I am supporting them and basically giving our students what they need to pursue their passions um, or whatever creative path that they might have. So within our department, we have a digital media minor that we're a part of. We also have an art minor. We have a BA in studio. We have a BA in art history, BFA in studio art, and then an MFA in um, fine art as well. So we cater a variety of students here. So I guess being able to be flexible is really important for my position. And a kind of a liaison between kind of our incoming students um, and kind of guiding them to where they want to go with their career choices. That is so crucial. The idea of being flexible and this idea of acting as a recruiter, acting as a coach and a supporter yeah. and an encourager and, yeah. and a sort of in charge of the pep rallies and all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I'm definitely an encourager. That's the one thing. I want everybody to succeed uh, within the foundations program. And, you know, it's really rewarding to kind of have students come in and really be able to give them all of their options. But then I guess what's really rewarding for me is seeing them grow and seeing them be productive, contributing artists, which is always like, you know, it always touched my heart. I love oh, my students, sure. So. It's such a privilege that we get to do what we do. I sometimes have to remind myself of that a little more than other times yeah, oh, throughout yeah. throughout yeah. the semester. But but it is. I mean, it's such a powerful position, you know, to 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 get to look at someone's work, especially when they're so young and they're still figuring things out and kind of trying on different approaches to art making. Yes, definitely. 
So in terms of the wide range of students you have at Ole Miss, but then also what is the curriculum look like? Do you guys have drawing? You mentioned it was a pretty traditional program. And so is it like drawing, 2D design, 3D design and color? Or do you yeah. guys have a have any other components that make up that found foundational curriculum? So the foundations consist of uh, the areas that you had mentioned. So um, 2D design, 3D design, color theory, drawing one, drawing two. And then from there, it kind of branches off I currently teach and I had developed minor course, which is um, Art 110, which is a combination course of color theory, drawing one, and 2D design. So we kind of support a variety of interests within the foundations department. Um, but we have a variety of students that are coming with totally different experiences. Some people have never picked up a pencil and you know we've all heard like I can't draw a stick figure and <laughs> trying to reassure them that you know just like with anything it is a skill and you have to dedicate that time and energy in order to improve so yeah we kind of serve a broad range of students within our area which I really enjoy because I think you know I've worked at art schools where you know people have had the experience but I kind of like a challenge in really getting our students to realize that, you know, yes, it is there. It just takes time for you to develop. You're not going to learn how to completely draw the perfect figure overnight. You know, it's going to take time and it's going to take dedication. That's so true. And I really appreciate that perspective. I mean, I've also taught at art schools where, you know, the students had a lot of privilege and a lot of experience, which was wonderful you know, And they were hungry and they were talented and it, and it was exciting. But I've, I've found that doing working with students that maybe are first generation college students or um, are coming at it from maybe a, a more unique perspective, perhaps. They, they seem, it's it just creates a whole different kind of challenge. Um, and I think that's one thing we maybe don't talk a lot about as yeah. academics, as sort of our audience, you know, and kind of how that really changes if you're going to do a demo on how to read a ruler. I mean, like literally, oh, you yeah. know, <laughs> um, how to hold a pencil. I mean, these are things that a lot of students come in and they really don't know how to do. Mm -hmm. Yes, totally. Yeah, the ruler comment, that's like usually day one and all of my classes is kind of let's just go through the setup. But, you know, I, I think the one thing, even though those students um, don't have vast amounts of experience with art making, you know, I think they're still hungry to know about it. Know those basic things to understand a variety of materials that you have access to, whether those are just simple charcoal, Conte, but then kind of getting more complex with like kind of gouache, oil paints, you know, so forth, so on. Do you find that those folks that are maybe not as experienced with, with art making processes or techniques that they also maybe are not as experienced with contemporary art or even art, art history? Oh, yes, yes. And usually sometimes we have some of the students that have kind of taken the um, kind of general art, one art history 101 courses, um, kind of like the general surveys. So there is a little bit of knowledge there. But not really. And I think for me, I really try to get them excited about the now, like what's happening now in art, but then also getting them to refer back throughout history and to put some of that work into context. I tell a lot of my students most of the time that 
all right, you know your Van Goghs, you know your Picassos, you know, we're kind of, I guess, you know, pummeled with visual information so much on a daily basis that nothing surprises us. But really getting to realize at that moment in time, this was revolutionary. This changed things. And really getting to see how they can benefit from an art history education in addition to kind of a general studio art making course. I can feel your excitement like across the phone or across the internet or ho- however we're doing this via Skype. I, I don't understand technology generally ever, but it's it's magical. I, I imagine that your students are really grateful, you know, to have someone in the classroom that is sharing that excitement and sharing that enthusiasm. Have you always been excited about foundations? Is that something that you've always had as an educator or is that something that you sort of came to later on after you taught, you know, more advanced classes or some? Well, I think it's to dealing with the basics. I kind of look back at or look at my own practice now and I can kind of draw and pull from those experiences that I had in foundations. And I think the one thing that I try to look at, especially within like my past education, is to see the things that maybe were missed and kind of recognize and kind of bring those to the forefront. Within foundations, I really enjoy being able to mentor people. So having them come in as a freshman and seeing their progression really drew me to foundations. But I think creating a dialogue with a student, having that one-on-one interaction and really trying to see what their educational goals are really gets me excited within foundations. But I also like the recruitment apparatus of it as well. Being able to let students know that there are options, you know, within the arts to where you can be successful. I think the one thing for me is being really blunt with my students um, and telling them like, you know, yes, if you decide to major in painting eventually, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. But just like anything, you have to work at it. You have to put forth the energies and efforts in order to be successful. Can you talk a little bit about the recruitment aspect of your position? Is is, is that something that's part of the coordinator position at your university? Um, not necessarily. I did serve, I think, my first two years on tenure track. I did serve as the recruitment coordinator. So recruitment for me is an opportunity to find talent within the department, but it's also to give students all of their options, the ability for them to recognize that, you know, I can be successful at this. But like I've said before, being blunt with them and letting them know that this is not an easy path. Your parents might be upset with you, but giving them all of the knowledge that they need to discuss this with family and really kind of know their options as they move forward for recruitment. Um, I think it's really important to draw people into the, into your specific area. And I think, I think we all as foundation coordinators kind of have a very jovial personality. Um, I think we're people you know, we like people or people persons or however you would phrase that, (laughs) Um, you know, and I think that excitement that I can kind of body and kind of show my students gets them excited about art, you know, so recruitment is really important for me. 
really letting them know that, hey, I am here for you. If you need help understanding the BEA process or the BFA process, let me know. I'll sit down with you. We will go through all of your options. Same thing as you they navigate towards the end of their career um, is, you know, recognizing that, you know, hey, grad school is a possibility and just ultimately giving them all the information that they need in order to be successful. That's a tall order. You know, that that's kind of an ongoing job, really. Yes, yes definitely. Definitely. Right. And so in terms of recruitment, you know, I'm sort of curious about this because our our department um, at Sam Houston has been, you know, really increasing our recruitment strategies, I guess you could say, um, over the last few years. And, you know, I'm 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 curious in terms of how that works with your job as a coordinator. So are you on can you, I guess, kind of break it down, like how many classes you teach or how many committees you're on and sort of how that's how that kind of comes together? So um, I usually teach right now on a 3-3 currently, and I think roughly I'm on five committees, and that's split in between departmental and university committees. So I'm the chair of our assessment committee, which is beneficial because then I can kind of take that information that we find through our assessment, you know, maybe areas where we can show improvement and kind of apply those directly to the foundations areas. Right. Um, I also serve as our holiday arts sales fundraising chair. So each year we put on that. And that's another way, not necessarily for recruiting students, but also kind of getting involved in the community. And so I really enjoy that because that is very much like a social experience in regards to letting everybody know in Oxford that, hey, this is what the art department's doing. This is what the students are doing. I also serve on the university assessment committee. And um, me and a colleague, we also co-chair a committee called the Virtual Visiting Artist Presentation. So what this is, is we actually reach out to artists, you know, international and throughout the country to actually Skype and or go to meeting um, to discuss their work process. I commute every day from Memphis to Oxford. And so so I have a good base of artists that um, I actually bring in in person to visit with graduate students to speak on behalf um, of this program. Um, But we have some really exciting things that we do within here. And, you know, it is a lot. (laughs) You know, I think we all know that if you've been in foundations for a while and my philosophy is always kind of be the water not the rock and just kind of flow through you know through flow through everything that you have on your plate but also recognize how to delegate you know and recognize that you can't do it all by yourself and if you kind of have that mentality it's going to be hard for you and it's going to be stressful it's going to weigh you down and it's ultimately going to make you unhappy with other responsibilities within the department as the foundation's coordinator. I'm also um, in charge of recruiting graduate students um, Oh wow! for teaching within foundations. At the end of each graduate student's experience here after receiving their degree, usually one or two students are chosen to have a one-year teaching appointment here within the foundations to give them the experience that they need in order to move forward. Because I think, you know, even within 
particular disciplines, whether it be printmaking or painting, um, a lot of departments tend to branch out a little bit. Um, yes, you might be the area head of painting, but we also need you to teach color theory, 2D design, or we might need you to teach figure or drawing. So giving them the opportunity to get some experience on their resume um, is great too. Well, so then if a student is getting their MFA at Old Miss, are they being a TA within your area of foundations or is that something that is, is not happening? Um, actually, what they do is within their individual areas, um, they're oh. usually teaching. But I've kind of brought into kind of my position the ability to kind of recruit some people that have really proved themselves. You know, they did the work. They've had other teaching experience within their particular area. And then what I do is I kind of guide them into foundations. Um, so I currently have two graduate graduate students teaching in the foundations department where I'm acting as a mentor for them, sharing kind of, you know, everything from syllabi to presentations, projects, everything I can to um, give them options to see if they can maybe glean something from me within teaching foundations. Um, but also get them to understand that this doesn't have to be this very rigid, strict thing that you can still have a course and have fun, you know? And I think that's one thing we forget a lot of times is that we don't have to dread our classes, but we can be excited about them and get our faculty, um, get our students engaged and, you know, really want to produce quality work. Um, that makes a difference. I know that sounds oh, like definitely. PSA, doesn't it? <laughs> no, no, but I mean, that that's so true. I mean, and we've all been around folks that are in a super bad mood and all they want to do is just spread that like a cancer, you know, right. throughout any kind of social situation, whether it's a classroom or whether it's like a committee meeting or, or whatever. And it, and it's just, it really impacts the group. And I think our, our students are so smart, you know, they know if we're mailing it in, you know, okay. and they know if we're so tired of doing this project we've been doing for like 10 years and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they, they know if we're not really able to sell it. And so I think really making sure that we check ourselves, you know, that we're being authentic, that we're really, fired up about this and we really see the value in it because we really can't translate it to anyone else, you know, whether yeah. that's another colleague who's also teaching in our same area or that's a student. And, and too, with students, you know, I found that just a simple hello in the hallway goes a really long ways to make them feel included and part of the department. And that's one thing I really strive for is to create um, a sense of community. Um, and I tell everybody in my classes that, you know, think of this not as a class or a course or just a studio. Think of it as kind of a community to where you can kind of pull from each other, be able to critically talk about your work with each other. So that's really, really important for me is a sense of community. And, you know, I, I, I found that here at Ole Miss, you know. I work with some fantastic people in my department. And, you know, I think just like with any family, you have your disagreements, you have your moments, but ultimately kind of knowing why you're there and that you're all trying to provide the same thing, a great education for your students. 
Absolutely. I mean, and that's, that's something that I think maybe isn't talked about a lot among some of our peers and our colleagues with, within the community is just that, you know, you're never going to have a job where everybody's like close, super good friends exactly. and they all go out and get a drink together after work and everybody, you know, likes the same kind of food and everybody has the same perspective and everybody, you know, and that wouldn't be really good for our students, you know, like we don't need any more Valerie's in the department than me. Like that's enough, you know, Um, we need other types of voices and other types of um, approaches. But I think that's something that, you know, just kind of learning to work with other people is such a valuable skill. And I really don't know if if I learned it in school, you know, or if I just picked it up um, along the way with like weird jobs that I had. You know, it's the same here. I, I think for me, becoming that or kind of recognizing that kind of came through my experience in working in retail for a really extended time. And you know, having a variety of different people that you're working with, but then also people that are constantly coming to you for things. Um, so I think, you know, my jobs of the past have definitely kind of prepared me, but I am a people person. I like people. I like knowing what's going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I, I carry that through to my students. And I think that's really important is to let them know that, hey, you can talk to me you know, I am here for you. Um, But then also just having fun with them. Hey, would you do this weekend? Oh, cool. Yeah. I was, you know, I was a shut in as usual. You know, that's usually my (laughs) response. (laughs) I'm a shut in. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, but, but that's, that's so important. This idea that, you know, we want to teach the entire student, you know, not just this little sliver that's an artist or that's creative or what have you, but we want to know the whole person because that's going to help us teach them more completely. Yes, yes. And I think, too, with larger institutions like ours here at Ole Miss is is that a lot of the students are in courses where there are, you know, maybe 150, 200 people and you know, I I think the fact that they come here and they're like, oh, hey, I'm so-and-so. It's like, okay, we've been in class for like five weeks. I know who you are. There's only (laughs) people here. You know, them realizing that in our area, when you're in my classroom, you're more than just a number. You're, You're a person and I want to know who you are and what your goals are. What do you want to achieve? Right, right. And this notion that that they're not just a number in the room. As you know, I mean, fate, fate has been looking at revising the guidelines and the standards for foundations, you know, and we have some that are posted online and they're, you know, they're, they're wonderful, but they're, they're about 10 years old, 11 years old now. And so there are some folks on the board that are, you know, beginning this fall with uh, reaching out to coordinators and to, to folks across the country to find out, you know, what do you do and what does it look like where you are? Because I think that that's one thing that's a positive, but then also sort of maybe a negative is that there's such a wide variety of different ways in which foundations happens that when an institution says, okay, well, you're going to be the foundations coordinator. What does that mean at other places or what does that look like at other, or what's a standard, um, you know, do, do you get a course release or are you assessed for your like administrational abilities? You know, all those things are really, really curious and tricky, 
but you know, hopefully the the more we know, the more we can really advocate for ourselves and for you know our programs. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 difficult to kind of shuffle the expectations, especially if you're on a tenure track. Um, for me, I'm divided between service, teaching, and research, mm-hmm. and so trying to navigate all those. You know, it can be challenging at times, but like I said before, you know, my philosophy of be the water, not the rock, prioritize, delegate, try to do your best to do what you say you're going to do and make sure that, you know, you communicate. And I think that's another thing for me as a foundations coordinator is communication, communicating with area heads, communicating with adjunct faculty, communicating with students, communicating with the chair of the department. And making sure that we are on the same page. Really, really important for me. Sure. And I think it really helps clarify if there are any areas that are misunderstood or, you know, those kinds of things. You know, right. I found I found that one of the most important things I can do is be really quick to apologize. <laughs> you know, like, wow, I super screwed up your name when I thought your name was Sally. It's not, it's Sarah. And I said that for two weeks last week in class. And I'm so, you know, and, and just, um, just being willing to admit that, you know, that I'm not going to juggle all the balls in the air perfectly. Rarely is that going to (laughs) happen, but, you know, um, acknowledging and sort of being malleable is, is just hard, you know, because I feel like I'm, I'm constantly, like having this like self-reflection moment, you know, which is, which is great, but kind of exhausting, right? Yeah, very much so, very much so. But I, I, you made a really good point about being able to admit, you know, when things do fall apart or being able to apologize and recognize that, hey, you know, I made a mistake, that is on me. I, I think that's very important too. But then also recognize that, I tell my students this all the time, like you are going to have successes and you are going to have missed opportunities. Um, It's just a matter of what you do with those missed opportunities. How are you going to recognize and turn those into successes? That's one thing I really kind of keep in the back of my mind a lot of the times, because I think within foundations and with kind of art studios in general, you know, a lot of students, they want an answer. And I I think a lot of the times, you know, within course projects, yes, you have objectives that you're trying to achieve, but within art, you have to be able to live in the questions a lot of the times. Um, And that, you know, there might be multiple answers or multiple solutions. So that's a big thing too, for me when I'm talking and engaging, but I also try to embody that um, or kind of recognize it in my own life is that, you know, Hey, I have successes but I'm going to have missed opportunities. Sure. And that's, that's so important to just kind of remind ourselves as well as those that are in our classrooms about the process, you know, that it's not really pretty all the time, you yeah. know, it's, 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 it's yeah. right, right. I I've been making a lot of crap, you know, like, and I will continue to do that because if I don't give myself permission to fail, then yeah. I'm, I'm sort of in an awful place. Well, and you know, I, I'm curious, how do you, in, in the classroom, do you find it helpful to talk about your own creative process with your students? Like, do you oh, show them yes. your work or do you draw alongside of them or something? Yeah. Um, every, every class that I teach, usually I'll take an opportunity to show them my work, 
talk about what I do, why I do it. I think it's important for them to see that, oh, hey, they are a practicing artist. They're not just an educator. And I tell them that, hey, I make a lot of crap a lot of the times, and that's okay. But I learn from it. You know, I don't settle. If I have an image that I'm working on and it's not working out um, or it's just a total hot mess, um, (laughs) I keep moving forward. And I think, too, showing your students some of your failures. I've shown them images to where, okay, here's where I started. Here's when I realized, like, what am I doing? I actually teach. Um, (laughs) and, And then I show them, you know, kind of powering through all of that headspace you get into and then showing them what I come up with at the end. Um, and I think it really lets them kind of realize that, okay, I can make mistakes here that I'm not going to be faulted because, you know, a lot of our students are kind of in these memorization degrees that, you know, I'm just memorizing information, facts, data, figures, and then I'm regurgitating And I think with art, like I had said before, living in those questions that, you know, you could have multiple solutions to a problem um, is really important for me in teaching, but also very important for me in my practice, that everything's not always just going to work out. Just this past week, I had dropped off a a work at the CCAC exhibition in Birmingham rather than shipping it, I delivered it. The day before I was supposed to deliver it, I got a call from my framer saying that the print was dented and dented in half. And I was like, you know what? It happens. I got to move on. I got to deal with this. And, you know, you just got to kind of move forward and just kind of be like, hey, que sera. Mm -hmm. No, that's so good to to just be reminded that, you know, there's really no art emergencies. I mean, it feels like there are constantly, you know, but but no one's going to get hurt if the side of my pieces aren't painted perfectly white or if I notice this really obsessive thing and maybe somebody else doesn't or maybe they do. I'm human, you know, like we're all we're all human. But but what you said about, you know, sort of living in the question reminds me of this book that Mary Stewart, you know, the phenomenal Mary. Stewart, author, foundations, extraordinaire. She she was the first person we had on the podcast, I guess a couple years ago now. And she had recommended a book and it's called A More Beautiful Question, The Power of Inquiry to Spark Breakthrough Ideas. And it's by Warren Berger. Perhaps I'm not saying that person's name right, but but it's it's really it's really a good book, and it kind of took me a minute to to get into it. But it really talks a lot about what you're saying. You know this this idea that most of our students have been you know really trained to have the right answers and not really to ask questions. And most of our students really can't get on the internet and find the information they need because they don't know what to put in the Google search because they're just like, I don't know. How how do I, how do I, how do I even begin? What do I ask? What, what do I do? And it's so fascinating. Yeah, it really is. And too, when they kind of, and I think one of my joys is during critique and they have that like kind of aha moment, And they realize that, um, which is really rewarding for me, getting them to a point where they're happy with their work. They understand what they're doing. They know why they're doing it. Um, It it really kind of just sets a spark off um, in me for teaching within foundations. 
Sure. And this idea that, you know, the, the process is really valuable, you know, that you can learn a lot from it, I think is something that takes a minute, you know, for, for everyone, not just an 18 year old, but like a 70 year old, you know, to, to, yeah. to kind of realize that the process is really messy. And so in your classrooms, do you find it helpful to do process critiques or to kind of look at things when they're sort of murky in that stage? Or do you find it more helpful to just kind of wait until the, the project is sort of over and then kind of talk about what happened along the way? Well, for me, um, I constantly engage my students. My classes average anywhere between 15, 18 max. So when we have a studio day and we're working, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the one-on-one critique discussion. So I really try um, to make an effort when we are first starting a project and we have kind of the first really full studio day after introduction is um, engaging them one-on-one at least two to three times during the course of the studio class just to make sure that they understand the assignment but then also get them to kind of think outside of the box. You know, what are you pulling from? What's your reference? Guiding them and, you know, letting them know that, all right, have you thought about this direction? Have you thought about possibly be this? You know, it's kind of like a constant conversation that I have with them, uh, which I really enjoy. Um, but the one-on-one is really important. And then sometimes, depending on how people are progressing, we will have kind of a, a mid critique, I would like to call it, to where, you know, we'll either get in a group or a circle and, you know, people will kind of show or kind of discuss the, some of the ideas that they're working with. And then we will kind of together as a group, try to provide some possible solutions. But the one thing um, I tell all my students is that I will never dictate to you what you need to create. Yes, I give you objectives and materials that you need to utilize, but any of the suggestions that I make to you, it is your choice whether to take that advice or not. But, you know, I always let them know that I want you to at least think about what I'm suggesting to you. And then, you know, if you don't go in that direction, which is fine, give me what was your reasons for not going in that direction or what solution did you find? You know, so really kind of engaging them with the one-on-one is important for me. That's great. And I mean, that gives them all sort of time to be heard and and time for you to kind of adjust to their particular learning style or or where they're at independently. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, you know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. You, you, you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So um, with them, and too, I'm I'm sure your kind of, your student body is the same situation with a variety of skill levels. Um, But I think it's really important at the beginning to know where everybody's at, um, because I think we also have a lot of times when students compare each other to each other. Yes. And their work. And then one thing I try to ensure them is that, you know, I'll kind of speak to myself like, you know, currently I work in photography and digital processes. I, I am not a figure painter. That's not me. So I'm not going to compare myself to that, but I let them know that we're coming here with all different levels of experiences, skills, um, so forth, but really letting them know that, Hey, I'm not judging you in comparison to anybody else in this class. 
I am grading you and looking for you to progress based on your individual development and growth in this course. Um, and I think once they kind of, I guess, realize that, a lot of that heaviness about making and making mistakes can sometimes vanish a little bit. Sure. I think this idea that, you know, of course they're being assessed and they're being graded and they're nervous and they want to do a good job, you know, and they want to mix the right purple and they don't want to mess it up. You know, all of those things I, I think come from a really good place. You know, it's, it's great that they care and that they're really focused on that, but it can often create hurdles, you know, that we sort of have to, to sort of navigate with them. Indeed. Indeed. One thing that I, I'm so happy to hear you talk about is this idea of communication, you know, that it's so important to be able to, um, you know, reflect about our own approaches, but also be able to talk to our students and, you know, this, this, this one-on-one -on -one approach with the, you know, the sort of like mini process critique that, that you're having with them is so great. And then being able to really communicate with your chair and with the other coordinators or um, faculty within your area. I mean, do you have any tips or advice for folks that are maybe just coming into a coordinator role? or someone that's maybe newer in their institution that doesn't really know what all the unspoken, you know, ways of working are, because that can be a little tricky when you're first on the scene, especially as a tenure track faculty member. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I think one of the biggest things is to be sincere mm -hmm. um, in what you're asking, the reasons why. I, I think another thing for me, especially kind of navigating departmental politics is to kind of know that, you know, everybody's kind of dealing with their, their own areas and have kind of their own weight of the position that they're dealing with and kind of being able to recognize and know that there's a time and a place to bring things up. And I think just being kind of upfront too is very, very important. Um, not to sugarcoat things, to reach out to people. And a lot of the times you do have a mentor that you can discuss and kind of, you know, ask questions to. But I think for me is kind of finding people within your department that, you know, you feel that you can really rely on, but then also reaching outside of the department. For instance, fate. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I became a member of FATE and wanted to be involved in FATE is to network, to be able to talk with people that have had the same experiences that I have, that I've had. And then also, you know, not necessarily a shoulder to cry on, but hey, maybe sometimes, right? Sure, sure, uh, exactly, of course. <laughs> I, I think our positions, because we have our hands in so many things, everything from curriculum to teaching, um, to service requirements, you know, maybe you're running the gallery, maybe you're involved with other outside recruitment programs, but just kind of knowing that you will find your flow and prioritize, you know, things that, you know, need to be done, get them done, take care of them. Um, but also, I think a really big, huge, important thing is to take time for yourself, to really give yourself an opportunity to relax and not think about work, which I think is huge. 
Yes. And it's something that no one tells you to do and something no one really reminds you to do is just to yes. be kind to yourself. That's something that I, I think, you know, I'm for sure still still learning how to do effectively, you know, because it seems like there's so many things that need to be done and, and um, so many ways that I, I, I want to help and I have a lot of energy and let's do this kind of thing, but it can be detrimental and you can get so burnt yeah. out. And I think that we, we see that sadly often, you know, especially within foundations. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and two, it's not an easy position, but it is a rewarding position. And, and that's kind of what I found being where I'm at is all of the hard work that you put into it. It's worth it. Because you are affecting change in your student's life, in your department, and, and kind of the art community as a whole as well. Um, and then there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm coming up with the, the end of my light, hopefully soon. So Right, because you go up for tenure this year, is yeah, that right? At the end of this year, yeah. So I've been formulating, documenting, getting everything in order, and just laying it all out there, you know. And... It's stressful, right? Um, sure. You know, I think anybody who's been through a tenure track process, um, it's not easy, but it's rewarding. It's a, it's a wonderful experience that I would never trade in. Um, it's been hard, been great. It's kind of been a, a whole mixed bag of emotions, but I love it. I love what I do. I love my department, and you know, ultimately, I love my students. They are, you know, what keeps me going. Absolutely. Well, and can, congratulations on the tenure process. Hey. That's exciting. Well, Josh, thank, thank you so much for chatting with us, getting to hear your enthusiasm and just your real honesty about being a coordinator, but also just um, getting to be in the lives of all these students and all these people has just been really exciting. Yeah, same here. Um, it has been a pleasure. And, um, you know, thank you for reaching out to me and um, asking me to do this. All right. Well, thanks again, Josh. Thank you, Valerie. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Positive Space. If you're interested in being part of FATE's ongoing conversation about art foundations, visit the FATE website at foundationsart.org. Don't forget the dash between foundations and art. This episode's interview was conducted by Valerie Powell and was engineered and edited by Raymond Gaddy. Our theme music was provided by Lee Rosevier. If you like what you hear on Positive Space, be sure to give us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcast. Better yet, send us some audio. You can call Positive Space at 904-990-FATE. That's 904-990-3283. You may find your voice on the next episode of Positive Space.